Well, good morning, friends. It's certainly a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning, uh, where he has promised us that he will be in his house and with his people. And so we trust uh, that the Lord is going to do that. We trust that he's going to show up um, and see what he has uh, for us, both uh, personally and corporately as his church. Uh, I'm Daryl, uh, the assistant pastor here. Uh, thankful to get to preach to you this morning. Uh, we are in our second week of Advent. It started uh, last week. It's the four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, in which uh, theologian Chad Bird said that uh, Advent is the season of the church's flat tire, in that uh, the rest of the world around us is kind of zooming down the highway uh, of busyness and all that the Christmas season holds. And uh, for the church, we're actually the opposite. We try to slow down uh, and hear uh, and remember and reflect upon what God has for us, uh, both uh, with looking at uh, his first coming and then casting a wishful eye to his second coming, knowing that uh, Christ's first coming fulfilled uh, the Old Testament prophecies, and yet we still uh, await his return. And so until that day, until the day that he does come back, we wait and we hope and we long. Uh, we wait uh, patiently and expectantly. Uh, we also wait and long uh, for that day to come. We long for peace. Uh, we long for joy. Uh, we long for love. We long with hope. Um, and so this Advent season, uh, as your pastoral staff, we're, we're taking a look at the prophet Isaiah, who has been affectionately called the Christmas prophet, knowing that a lot of what you probably hear and read at Christmas time uh, comes from the book of Isaiah, the kind of the ancient Old Testament book. So he was writing to uh, a time in the life of the kingdom of Judah and in the nation of Israel uh, where there wasn't much to be excited about. Uh, he was telling them uh, as God's prophet and as God's mouthpiece that uh, destruction was coming. Uh, destruction was on the way. Uh, and he begged for them uh, to repent and to look forward to the restoration of all things. But until that day when uh, the king that he prophesies about returns, uh, it's gonna be pretty bleak and pretty dark for Israel. That's what we call Advent, uh, the midnight of the church calendar. Um, that is the darkest time before uh, the sun comes up at Christ's incarnation. Um, so that sounds fun. Uh, Pastor Dave Burden, one of the guys on staff, calls it Sadvent, he didn't call it Advent. And so uh, we know that the longing of every human heart is for uh, the return and the restoration of all things, uh, but we're not there yet. And so we have to wait and live in that tension um, and it's a tension that our hearts know all too well. Uh, we know the beauty and, and the majesty and the loveliness of Christ, and we also know the wickedness and destruction of our own sin. Uh, so we're gonna look at Isaiah 11, one through 10 this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, that's where we'll be, the book of Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, it'll also be on the screens uh, if you need it. So this is the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we are uh, sometimes, Lord, I am sometimes uh, lulled to sleep by the familiarity of the Christmas season. I lulled to sleep by the stories of hope and peace and joy and love that seem so far away as my heart experiences everything but that. Uh, Jesus, this room is too big for me to be the only one. And so, uh, God, would you comfort the hearts of the speaker? Would you comfort the hearts of the hearer? Uh, would you be uh, King Jesus to us, Lord, as we look and decide um, what you have for us, as we discern what it is you want us to learn from this passage uh, that we would leave here rejoicing uh, because of all the great things that you have done. And so in your name we do pray, amen. Uh, so that's the passage, Isaiah 11, one through 10. Two things we're gonna see from this passage. We're gonna see the Prince of Peace and secondly, the product of that peace. So let's begin with the Prince of Peace, looking again uh, at verses, uh, chapter 11, verses one through five or six or so. Um, here is what Isaiah is saying to Israel. He's saying to them, it's bleak. Israel, it's bleak. Uh, the northern kingdom has fallen to Assyria. The southern kingdom is about to suffer the same fate. And Isaiah is tapped as the prophet of the Lord to be the one to tell them from the mouth of God through Isaiah that judgment has arrived at your doorstep. Israel, judgment has arrived because of your disobedience to the commands of God. Assyria is going to come and lay waste to you and they're gonna take you into exile in the same way that the Assyrians took the northern kingdom, the Babylonians would come and take the southern kingdom and there would be no Israel left. Israel had disobeyed the Lord by making uh, peace treaties with surrounding nations uh, to protect one another from uh, Assyria and from Babylon. Uh, they've made these peace treaties to keep themselves safe so they didn't have to rely on God to be their protector, even though he had told them over and over again, I will be the one who fights for you. Israel said, that's not good enough. Uh, we need these folks to keep us safe. And because of that, the Lord says, uh, destruction is coming, Israel. You had placed your hope in something that's going to fail you. You've placed your hope in these peace treaties, these uh, other countries thinking that they're the ones that are gonna keep you safe. And I'm actually gonna use those other countries to come in and lay waste to you, that they would be carried away, that your promised land would be no more. They would lose their land, they would lose their homes, they would lose their identity. Everything they had put their hope in had failed them. The treaties, the handshakes, the false gods, and now the promised land itself. The very physical representation of their favor before God is to be taken from them. This is the one thing that made them special. They had this special land uh, called the promised land, the land of Cana that was promised to Abraham, the, the promise to Abraham being that he would have a family and that they would have a place to live and it would be called this promised land. And God is saying to Israel, I'm taking it all. I'm taking it all from you. 
The surrounding nations are gonna come in Israel and they're gonna go scorched earth on both of these kingdoms and all they're gonna leave behind is a bunch of stumps. The great forest that you've known, the great land that you've known is gonna be wiped away. There would be no peace in their households, only the fear that their captors would wipe them out in the same way that they've taken their homeland. This was the message that Isaiah got to deliver, which is terrible, right? This is why in Christian history, Isaiah was put into a log and then the log was sawn in half. That's how he was killed. We know this from the book of Hebrews. Because he got to tell people stuff like this, people didn't wanna hear this. Like, be quiet, Isaiah. He comes to him and he says, guys, it's gonna get bad. And then it's gonna get worse. Out of the mouth of God, through his, through his prophet Isaiah, God tells his beloved chosen people, judgment is coming like a flood. And when the destruction comes, God says, you will look on the land of stumps and you will wonder how you ever got there. How did your precious homeland, how did everything that you love end up the way that it did? There would be no peace. It's all just chaos. Because isn't that what makes peace so tricky? As Elliot told us last week as he preached about the hope that we talk about uh, during this season, this season, that you can't really understand hope, you can't appreciate hope until you stared into the face of despair. Isaiah is saying you can't understand peace until you stared into the chaos until you've looked into the abyss of chaos that is your own heart and that is the world around you, you can't even actually cry out for peace. This is where the nation of Israel was at this time, being carried off into exile as a result of their sin. And isn't this where we find ourselves, that sin has gotten all over everything, sin gets all over everything in its blast radius. And you may not have lived long enough for your sin to carry you off into exile yet, but you've lived long enough to, uh, to negotiate some fake peace treaties with the things that you love. This is what Isaiah is warning against and what God is warning against, that we have this understanding, we have this belief that peace will be achieved through achievement. That if I can get the right job, then I'll have peace. If I can just marry the right person, then I'll have peace. I don't have to deal with my family anymore. I can just go to their family. I don't have to deal with that, I'll have peace. I'll get the job that will pay me enough money to outsource all of my problems. I'll get with the right counselor. I'll find out my Enneagram type. I'll lose myself in codependency. I'll make my life orbit around my children's happiness and then I'll have peace. And God is standing there and he's saying to you, church, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It'll work for a minute but it's about as effective as building a fire with just dryer lint, that it'll go up real quick, but then it fades out just as quickly. This is what makes Advent Sadvent. This is why we know this. Because we know that we've placed our hopes for peace and our hopes for comfort in things that are ultimately going to fail us. And here is what is beautiful about that. Here's what's beautiful about this. That Isaiah says, Israel, it can't get any worse for you. You've come to the end of your rope. You're at the bottom of the pit. This is rock bottom, but Israel, I want you to know, among this desolate field, 
of stumps where there once stood a mighty forest. He tells us this in verse one. There's a shoot that comes out of that stump. There's a sapling, Isaiah. There's a sapling, Israel, that is coming out of this stump. And while you are helpless, he did not leave you hopeless. The peace you want, Israel, the peace you want, Midtown 12 South, the peace you desire is gonna come from that stump. Look at how Isaiah describes him. He is drenched in the spirit of the Lord. He will be walking in lockstep with God and his commands. He will not judge on appearance, but will look at the heart. This is everything we want. He doesn't, he doesn't judge me by my outward appearance, but he judges me by what's inside my heart. He'll speak truth. He will love fiercely. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist, and he will be known by his faithfulness. When Israel was known for its unfaithfulness. They've had a hodgepodge of kings who were terribly unfaithful. This is why they're in the spot that they're in anyway, because of their unfaithfulness. And God is saying through Isaiah to Israel and to us, there is one who is coming who doesn't even know what unfaithfulness is. He is so faithful. It is his character trait. And he's gonna be the one who is gonna rule you. Isaiah says it comes from the stump of Jesse, which may not mean much for us, for the, for the Hebrew this would have meant everything because he's saying it's coming from the family that David came from. It's coming from David's family. Jesse wasn't uh, in, the, in the kingly line. Jesse was just a peasant who had a shepherd boy named David who rose to be a great king because Solomon was so terrible, or sorry, Saul was so terrible. And Isaiah is saying to Israel, there's one who's coming who's gonna be better than David. This is, why, this is why Isaiah doesn't say, I'm gonna bring you another David. Because that's what Israel wanted. Israel wanted another David. And God is saying, I love you far too much to give you what you're asking for. I'm not gonna give you more of the same. I'm actually gonna give you something better. I'm not interested, Israel, in restoring you to this golden age when, you, uh, when David ruled and everything was great and you guys were conquering all these lands. I'm not interested in taking you there. I wanna take you further. This is what God is saying to them. You're not gonna get more of the same. He is coming, the king is coming. And when this king drives away the enemies, when this king drives away Assyria, when this king drives away Babylon, you will then have peace. And he's saying to us something we already know. The peace doesn't come without a bloodbath. This king isn't just gonna show up and then spook and the enemies are like gonna scatter away and just go hide for a little bit and then attack again. That's what's always been Israel's history. This king is gonna come and he's going to eradicate the enemies, Isaiah tells us. They're gonna be gotten rid of. This is so much more than just what we experience as activism. This is so much more than just trying to change the world through an Instagram post. The only person that can do that is Elon Musk. We're far too clever to know, we're far too clever to know that real change only comes with action. If you want change, you have to get your, your feet dirty, you have to get your hands dirty. Change doesn't come just by declaring it, like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. It only comes by getting into it. 
And this is what the world has always done. This is what we've always done. I'm gonna fight for righteousness. I'm gonna fight for justice. I'm gonna fight for equality. And all those are good things. As long as you understand, it's not gonna happen unless Jesus comes back. None of those things are gonna happen unless Jesus comes. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who Auburn hired. It doesn't matter. Change isn't gonna come until Jesus returns. My friend Mary Trapnell, who runs a, a human trafficking organization, she fights against it. She doesn't like run it. That makes sense. She runs, she runs an organization that fights human trafficking. She's not a human trafficker. Uh, she says uh, that all roads to justice unashamedly end in Jesus. Because Jesus, King Jesus is the only one who is equipped to handle this sort of change. The church will fight for this. Israel can fight for this. But it's only going to be successful when the Lord comes. And Isaiah says, a king is coming. It's going to happen for you, Israel. A king who will be known by his mercy, by his righteousness, and by his faithfulness. And in his kingdom is there peace and only in his kingdom. So what does that look like? If Isaiah tells us who the Prince of Peace is, what is the product of this? Which is our last uh, point this morning, the product of peace. If we look at verses six through nine, We're given this very idyllic, uh, almost utopian understanding. Isaiah tells us that the wolves will lay with the lambs, that calves and lions will hang out, they will be led by a little child. Uh, Now it's easy to get, it's easy to get hallmarky about this, and a little bit of that is okay, uh, because that is a wonderful thing. But what Isaiah is holding out for the people is not a world they've never known, he's holding out for them a world they've already heard about because they've heard about the garden. They've heard about Eden. They've heard about this world before sin and chaos entered in. And Isaiah is is coming and saying, the world that you've heard about, that's where we're going. It's not this. This isn't the reality. We're going to go back to a world of the garden where there was no chaos. Isaiah says that a little child will lead them He said the nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the adder's den. Now, if you have a toddler or you were a toddler or you've ever seen a toddler, uh, you know that them going and grabbing a snake is not that far-fetched because they're crazy. But their parents hate it. And here's what Isaiah is saying. Don't just think about the fact that a toddler is gonna go grab a snake because that's crazy enough. He's saying to Israel, remember what that snake represents. Remember the perfection, remember the beauty, remember remember everything that was awesome about the Garden of Eden. And then the snake showed up. And then Adam and Eve fell after they ate the fruit. And then we're all in this spot that we're in. Remember, remember Christian, remember Jew. Remember what that snake meant. And now think about this kingdom where it's so toothless and so powerless and so docile that a toddler can walk up to it and poke it and it won't do anything. That's the kingdom that he wants to usher in. This peaceful kingdom obtained doesn't come through uh, us fighting, it comes through looking at the one who has fought for us through trust in the true king of Israel. Now this king is different that his kingdom isn't built on the backs of slave labor. His, his kingdom isn't built 
on this idea of needing expansion for its own sake. He wasn't like Alexander the Great who conquered the world and then sat around sad because he said there were no more nations to conquer. This king that is coming, Israel, this king that is coming, church, sits and rules in delight. And here's the only way that peace can be yours. You have to lay down your arms. You have to lay down your arms. Israel was the victim of larger and greater nations bullying them all the time. That's true. That always happened in scripture. That these big nations would come in and try to take over Israel and they always failed because the Lord fought for them. But Israel wasn't innocent in this whole deal and neither are you. That this king comes to rule. And that first means that he rules in our hearts. That first means that the greatest evil that has to be overcome is sin. And that means the first evil that has to be overcome are the ones who sin. So the only way we can achieve this peace, Isaiah is saying, God is looking at us and saying, the only way you can do this is by laying down your arms and saying for Jesus to command as he will. That means that when Jesus says he is Lord of your life, you say, okay. That when our hearts and minds believe something opposite of what scripture says, we bend our hearts and minds to what scripture says. We don't spend all of our time trying to bend scripture to what our hearts and our minds want to believe. And that when we look in the face of this king that Isaiah is promising, we submit and we submit gladly. But why do we do this? We do this because he's the only one who can make sense of the chaos. Jesus is the only one who can make sense of the chaos because that is what he has always done. That we spend a lot of time and we spend a lot of money on couches and in living rooms trying to figure out what is the Lord up to? Why is my life going the way that it's going? Why are all these things happening? Why was I placed in the family that I was placed into? Why can't I find somebody to date? All these things that we can't make sense of, Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who can make sense of them. Because in this field and forest of stumped down desolate trees, a shoot is gonna raise up from a stump. And that shoot is the promise that God has not forgotten about his people. Isaiah is saying, Israel, look at the desolation. Look at the chaos, look at the judgment, look at the sin, look at the evil. And then look at that stump and see that there's a sapling growing out of it. Israel, that's your promise. God has not forgotten you. That shoot is a reminder that when the earth was formless and void, tohu vavohu, the Hebrew Bible says, that it was the spirit of God who hovered over the waters and hovered over the chaos that was going on and he spoke into the deafening silence and he created fish and sea and bird and air and man and woman. Israel, look at that shoot. That's who we're talking about. Israel, remember that when you were made, Remember that when man and woman came to be on the sixth day of creation, that Jesus said, or that God said, everything else was good, but it was very good when man and woman came, that you were made a stardust and that you're created in the image of God. And if you were made by God, then you were made for God. Israel, look at the shoot and remember that God remembers you. 
And Israel, look at the shoot and remember that when Adam and Eve fell, when they fell into sin and put us all in this position that we're in, that it was God who went looking for them with a new coat and a promise that a Messiah would come and this would all be undone. That Israel, when you look at this shoot that is coming up from the stump of Jesse, you will remember that you were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and you didn't get a day off. And then God showed up. And he led you out at Passover. And then he led you through the parting of the Red Sea and that the, the water split and you walked through on dry land and you turned around and watched the water of judgment fall on the enemies of God. Israel, remember the stump and remember the shoot. Remember how I brought you through the flood of Noah, how I tore down the walls of Jericho. Remember how I was a God who danced in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Benny, VeggieTales taught us. Remember how I danced in that fire with them. Israel, look at the shoot, that's who it is. Remember that I turned Daniel's lion's den into a petting zoo. Israel, Isaiah is saying, remember that shoot that's coming out of the stump is the promise to you that God has not forgotten you because a king is coming. And a king is gonna come and set all this straight. And if we look in verse 10, it tells us this. Let me find it. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be Glorious. Israel, there's going to be a king that's going to come to you. He's gonna make it all right. And Israel, you have to know this, he's not just for you. He's for the nations. That when they see how Israel has turned it around, when they see this great king who rules them, the other nations are gonna wanna come and have a piece of that. Midtown 12 South, that's what's gonna happen. People are going to look at this building and say, I want to know about the king that they talk about inside those walls. Israel, Isaiah is saying to them, this king is for the world. He's not just for the Jews. He's for the Ruths who stumbled through the famine in Moab to come to Israel to find a redeemer. He's for the Rahabs. He's for the sex workers who helped deliver God's people to safety. He's for the Bathshebas who were taken advantage of. He's for the Tamars who were assaulted sexually. He's for those whom the world has forgotten, but Israel, it will be no more. The nations will come to you and say, I want to know this God, and Israel, he will be your king. And you'll know this king to be Jesus Christ. You'll know this king to be Jesus Christ the Lord, the one who sat with a Samaritan woman and told her, but she's not identified by the things that she's done. But she's instead identified by who Jesus says she is. And then she leaves and goes and converts a whole town. That this Jesus was the one who stood outside the grave of Lazarus his, Lazarus, his dear friend who had just died, and he's watching his other friends cry, and Jesus starts to cry as he looks at all that sin and death has done, and he has an anger burning in his belly at how, the, uh, at how evil has taken a friend of his, and he cries, and still he screams into the hallowed abyss of a grave and says, Lazarus, come out. Loose that man and let him go. Israel, this is who is going to be the king. He's the king who was put on a cross and hung naked in front of his mom. And he looked to the heavens and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know. They don't know. 
They don't know what they're doing. And he's the Jesus who three days later would throat punch death and would walk out of the grave under his own power. And friends, he's the king whose second advent we await now. Who will ride in on a horse this time and not on a donkey with righteousness on his leg and peace in his hands. Friends, that forest of stumps that we're reading about here in Isaiah is going to grow into oaks of righteousness as the king returns. And Isaiah says, the knowledge of him will be so vast that it will be like the way that the waters cover the seas. Israel, this is who's coming for you. Israel, it's dark. Israel, it's bleak. Israel, you're being carried away. Church, it's dark. Church, it's bleak. Church, you're being carried away. And it might feel like God has forgotten you. But Isaiah is saying this Advent season, look at the stump and look at the sapling coming up and ask yourself this question, what will I do with this Prince of Peace? What will I do with this coming King? Will I lay down my arms? Will I tell him to command as he wills? Or will I fight against him and meet my own destruction? Israel, church, what will you do with this Prince of Peace? You can accept him, you can reject him, but you can't ignore him. It's not an option that he's given to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come after reading a passage such as this, we come in hope and a little bit of terror, a little bit of fear. Just as the disciples in the boat after you had calmed the storm and the disciples were afraid of the storm that was blowing and then you stood up and said, peace be still and the disciples looked at one another and said, who the heck is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And yet, Jesus, you with outstretched arms tell us to come to you. You who are the good shepherd tell us to come to you. So Jesus, we long for that. We long for your return. We long for a day that everything we read would be, would be true. We long for the day that everything sad comes untrue. So Jesus, as we wait in that tension, remind us with the elements of your supper that we're about to take together that you have not forgotten us that you are at work even when it doesn't feel like it. And we will leave here rejoicing uh, because of all that you've done. And see so your name we do pray, amen.